0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's August 26th, 2021, midday. Welcome from San Francisco, the city on the bay that looks down on the rest of America, often... Uh, San Francisco is viewed rather critically in the rest of America because we view the rest of America as dumb. Uh, Americans aren't that smart, according to many San Franciscans. And um, the evidence seems to support what we think of the rest of America. Uh, there was a wonderfully amusing uh, op-ed in the Roanoke Times uh, earlier this month uh, entitled... uh, by Robert Strong, uh, Dumb and Dumber Americans. It talks about uh, 7% of Americans who agree that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. Uh, 45% of Americans believe vaccines, particularly the COVID vaccine, of course, aren't safe. Climate change is not real, according to one in five Americans. Uh, dinosaurs and people lived at the same time. 14% believed in that. 7% believed that moon landing was fake, um, and that crystal efficiency, crystal healing is efficient. Uh, even 2% of people believe the earth is flat. 33% of Americans didn't believe, c- couldn't name any of the branches of the federal government. Um, this bashing of America, this idea of America being, or Americans being dumb, is something that's brought up in a really interesting new book. Uh, when bad things happen to good people, uh, co-authored by uh, Stephen Nadler and Lawrence Shapiro. Uh, I talked earlier to Steve Nadler, and uh, now uh, I have uh, the other author of the uh, of the book, um, Larry Shapiro. Uh, Larry, are Americans dumb? Your book is about bad thinking. Are most Americans bad thinkers? Most Americans are bad thinkers,
1: but I wouldn't want to say that they're dumb. Uh, I think of being dumb as something like stupidity and people who are stupid or dumb can't help being stupid or dumb. And so they're they're not as culpable for the sorts of stupid behaviors or, or harmful behaviors that they exhibit. Whereas bad thinking can happen to even smart people. Um, I've already Even seen already. smart
0: people, Larry. Even smart people. Even smart people. Give me an so, example of, of bad thinking uh, that, that, that you're guilty of. You're a smart person. You're a professor of <laughs> philosophy.
1: Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure I'm as uh, vulnerable to various prejudices and biases and uh, statistical poor thinking uh, in my casual moments as As anyone, uh, but I might be better at correcting myself or reflecting on um, what I'm thinking about in in a way that... uh, Do you believe that chocolate milk comes from brown cows? uh, Some cows might be brown, but uh, they don't produce chocolate milk in virtue of being brown. That's
0: that's for sure. That's a classic philosophical response, which you talk (laughs) about in the book. Uh, I'm sure you can name one of the branches of the Federal government, uh, do you believe that the Holocaust happened? This is another stat that you bring up in your book that many Americans doubt that.
1: Yeah, uh, certainly I believe that, but 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 look, uh, I'm already receiving hate mail uh, uh, for the for the book that Steve and I wrote, and and the hate mail isn't coming from dumb people. It's coming from people who are in fact uh, clever enough to devise. The sorts of crazy conspiracies that uh, that lead them to, to bad and incorrect conclusions, but the thinking that gets them there isn't dumb, it's just bad.
0: When you say bad, do you mean corrupt, immoral, ill-informed, or self-interested? Um, I'm pleased you're getting hate mail, although I'm, I'm pleased that I'm not getting it. Um, <laughs> But I think that's uh, a compliment in some ways. Your book is clearly having an impact. It's just out. Um, what are the foundations of 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 the hate that's coming to you? Is it ill will? Is it evil? Do you believe in the idea of evil, Larry? I don't believe
1: in the idea of evil, but I believe that there are bad people who do harmful things. But evil seems to me almost uh, uh, to carry with it some sort of religious connotation like sin, uh, where the idea of evil is somehow uh, a force, perhaps a supernatural force that corrupts. I don't, I don't believe in evil in that sense, but I certainly believe people people are capable of of evil
0: actions, actions that are uh, that result in tremendous harm. Your well, uh, your book comes with uh, it, it's a, it's a red book. It has a red cover, and it's almost like a a warning because of the red it said something is seriously wrong an alarming number of citizens in america and around the world are embracing crazy even dangerous ideas now i said i i talked earlier to steve we talked a little bit about afghanistan with you i'd like to talk more about america uh what are the the crazy dangerous ideas that you wrote this book to counter
1: uh well well it's funny um that um when we started the book, we had a list of dangerous, crazy ideas in mind. And then by the time we finished the book, the, those ideas were already obsolete. Uh, uh, idiot. Well, I'm not going to contradict myself. I almost said idiocy. But look, uh, the, the number of terrible things happening in our country are happening at such a rapid pace that it's hard to keep up with them. So we started the book with things like uh, vaccine denial and uh, climate change denial in, in mind. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the insurrection, the attempt to overthrow the uh, U.S. government uh, after the elections on January 6th came about. Uh, that's certainly a, 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 a striking instance of bad thinking. It's bad thinking in the sense that these people who uh, were moved to attack Congress in the U.S. Capitol were believing a, a lie. They were believing that Trump had uh, been cheated out of a victory in the last election. And the, the, the kind of conspiracy thinking and uh, ignorance and, and desire not to believe a fact is, is what caused that event. Uh, so that's just one more recent example of the sorts of things that Steve and I uh, deplore and uh, we're, we're, we're trying to address in our book.
0: Uh, I'm curious on that particular um, example, um, Larry. Uh, Barack Obama, uh, in in a recent book, noted that African Americans celebrated the O.J. Simpson acquittal. They knew it was incorrect, but they still could enjoy it in the same way as the Trump supporters knew that the election was correct, uh, but they they enjoy questioning it perhaps to annoy liberals like yourself or philosophers like yourself do you think that the anti vaxxers the that the flat earthers the people who who believe that the election was stolen from trump in their heart of hearts or their minds of minds um, do they recognize the truth of the nature of things
1: i think i think many of them do i have a a colleague here at Wisconsin, a uh, political scientist named uh, Catherine, Kathy Kramer, and she wrote a, a, a book a few years ago called something like The Politics of Resentment, and uh, she was trying to understand why it is uh, so many Republican voters seem to support policies that in fact uh, are against their self-interest. And one thing that came up was that um, many, many of these Republicans living in rural, uh, rural areas of Wisconsin simply resent uh, the the higher quality of life that uh, many liberals and progressives enjoy, and so they'll vote against their own interests if it means taking down the, the the liberals with them. And I have a I have a feeling that a lot of this is is true of Trump supporters too. They know the truth, but. They'd rather stick it to the liberals uh,
0: than admit the truth. Uh, Larry, a uh, couple of weeks ago, we had the polemicist, the defender of science, Lee McIntyre, on the show. Uh, his book, How to Talk to a Science Denier, is it, very much in the same vein as your new book. Hmm. I asked Lee, and, uh, and it's a question that also came up uh, with, with Steve. Um why is it that these um, these books in defense of science, in defense of truth, seem to come from the left? What is it about conservatives these days that appears as if they're the ones who are challenging truth? Or might it be that uh, progressives so dominate our university and our publishing industry that they have monopolized the idea of truth? Uh, and and use it to promote uh, their own ideological agendas
1: well part, part of the answer has to be um, the strong connection between conservative conservatives and uh, religion so uh, evangelicals don't believe uh, in evolution by natural selection they they don't believe in in Man, man, uh, human caused climate change. Uh, they, they're, they're told to believe certain things that are inconsistent with our scientific knowledge of the world, and so it's not surprising, really, that you're not going to find books by conservatives that are trying to promote promote science education.
0: Larry, um, are you suggesting then that 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 all religious people? Um, are susceptible to bad ideas. One of the philosophers who who, who comes up in your book is Pascal. Uh, and you seem collectively at least with, with Steve to pay him some respect because of his, uh, his his desire to believe in religion, even though he knew probably as a philosopher, that it may be incorrect. Are you suggesting that all religious people are irrational and prone to bad ideas? Or is it uh, only uh, religious fundamentalists? Uh,
1: uh, certainly not all religious
0: people. So Descartes was very religious. Many of the philosophers we talk about, um, Francis Bacon, as well, who you see as one of the fathers of empiricism. That's
1: right. And uh, Spinoza was religious, although uh, his his God wasn't the the, the God of the Judeo Christian tradition. Uh, so. There are plenty of religious people who who think very well, um, and they understand that there's. Are there are uh, always
0: philosophers, Larry. Are they? As a, uh, are there religious people who think well if they're not philosophers? Oh, of course, sure. Uh, philosophers don't don't have um,
1: a monopoly on on the the canons of, of good reasoning. Uh, philosophers might differ from. Uh, Another sort of good reasoner, insofar as they, they might have the vocabulary to sort of catalog the, the different ways of reasoning well and uh, a catalog for identifying fallacious and bad forms of reasoning. So philosophers are adept at talking about how to reason well just because they've developed uh, the concepts and vocabulary to do so. but but you don't need these concepts and and, cat- and, and, and vocabulary to be a good reasoner. And many religious people I know are perfectly good reasoners, but part of what makes them good reasoners is that they'll see that, um, say, Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection is is the rational account of uh, the origin of species, and when it conflicts with a religious view, they'll they'll understand that it's the religious view that has to has to be uh, forsaken.
0: Uh, your book uh, begins or. Uh, ends actually with Socrates and Plato, who were both writing in a in a pre-scientific age in many ways. Um, to what extent does your book equate science and truth? Or are there truths that exist outside science?
1: Uh, well, certainly there are truths that exist outside science. Uh, so for instance, it's it's true that I'm sitting here talking to you, but this isn't the sort of event that uh, is of any interest to a, to a scientist. There's no scientific theories that would predict that I'd be sitting here talking to you. Uh, and science, it's controversial whether science really aims at truth as, as well. Science aims for well-confirmed theories. And um, we know that because the, the evidence, the data on which scientific theories rest, Always underdetermines that theory; that is, it never absolutely establishes the truth of the theory. We should be prepared to always uh, find. We, we should be prepared to give up our theories. So, uh, until Einstein came along, it seemed true uh, of the world that Newton's physics was the correct description of it. And then, then subsequent to Einstein, we we learned that that was that was wrong. So I wouldn't describe science as aiming at the truth, but rather as aiming at well-confirmed theories.
0: Subtitle of your book, um, Larry, is How Philosophy Can Save Us From Ourselves. There's something slightly chilling in my mind about that subtitle. Um, Why should we ever want to save ourselves from ourselves?
1: Uh, Well, the, the idea that we're trying to capture that subtitle is that The world seems to be going in in the wrong direction right now. Uh, Uh, According to you,
0: I mean, not everybody, right?
1: Well, I think everyone, uh, (laughs) I I guess I should say not say everyone, but look, it's pretty obvious that the world is warming and that we're headed toward environmental cataclysm. It's it's pretty obvious that... um, There are uh, limits on freedom and expression and rights today, or uh, uh, proponents of limiting these sorts of things that...
0: But that's always been the case, Larry. I mean, there are more democracies today than there were 100 years ago. That's
1: true. But um, so in our country right now, there are efforts, uh, increasingly successful, to remove a woman's uh, right to terminate her, her pregnancy.
0: Yeah, that was actually one of the headlines today um, uh, from the Times, Texas clearing a path to the end of Roe versus Wade. But there are some people who believe that that's uh, rooted in truth. I mean, are you suggesting that there is a, a clear answer to the right to abortion from a philosophical point of view? Many, many more conservative philosophers and religious thinkers would strongly disagree with you.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I think um, I think there is a pretty pretty solid case to be made uh, uh, in favor of a woman's right to choose. I mean, there's this famous uh, paper by Judy Jarvis Thompson, the the late philosopher uh, who taught at MIT, and she points out that the issue is not one about whether the fetus is a person or the the fetus is uh, a a being to which uh, moral rights ought to be assigned she she makes a simple analogy which is worth thinking about and, and it's this andrew suppose andrew you wake up one day or you're, you're kidnapped and you wake up and you find yourself uh attached with tubes to a, a famous violinist uh who needs your kidneys uh for dialysis purposes and and thompson asks if you find yourself strapped to this violinist and tell and you're told that you need to be remain attached to this violinist for the next nine months do you have a right to detach yourself knowing that the violinist will die? And of course, the, the analogy is there to the, the pregnant woman who, who finds herself pregnant. And uh, then the question is whether she has to keep this pregnancy if it's if it's not something that she wants. Um, so the nice thing about the Thompson paper is it um, it takes the issue the question about abortion away from uh, whether a fetus is a person and, and
0: focuses it where it should be focused on on the question about rights. Do you think though, and, and this comes back to the question I asked earlier, are you, um, are you comfortable with the idea of philosophy, always being right, that the truth is somehow intrinsically moral? Are there examples of the truth being immoral? Um, Cause it's always, it, it always occurs to me in these kind of conversations and your kind of books mm-hmm. that, perhaps this is coincidental or otherwise, that what you believe in and what you believe to be true is the same thing.
1: Uh, So I don't think of truth as uh, a moral concept. So there's a way that the world is, right? So the world is the kind of place where the element gold has the atomic number 79. And then we've got our descriptions of the world. And if we... If we describe gold as having an atomic number of 85, we've said something false. Our description doesn't match the world. But, but there's nothing moral involved in uh, saying something false and, unless you're doing it for uh, uh, self-serving or, or malicious ends. But truth itself is just a matter of um, whether our descriptions of the world present the world as, as it actually is.
0: Do you think that there's something new about the current concern amongst philosophers, progressives like yourself, with this crisis of truth? Seems like um, uh, it's happened many times before in history. Uh, Socrates and Plato were responding to it. Voltaire wrote his wonderful book Candide as, uh, as the Enlightenment response to the irrationality of his own times. Is there anything unique about today? You mentioned the fact that um, uh, the the, the pandemic and, of course, climate change. Are we collectively heading for the end of our species? Is this an existential moment in contrast to other moments in human history when it comes to truth?
1: I I think uh, the big difference we're seeing today uh, from even... 10 years ago, 15 years ago, is the, the rise of social media and, and the internet. It, it used to be difficult to get your ideas out there, uh, even if they were even if they were true. And now we're finding that it's incredibly easy to get ideas out there, no matter how outlandish and, and false they are. And they're so easy to spread, and there's such an eager audience to read these things, that um, it seems to me we're facing a sort of epistemic crisis, the likes of which we've never seen before.
0: Yeah, you, you talk about epistemic stubbornness. Uh, uh, you, you describe it as a vorace- voracious contagion. So, uh, Larry, how are we supposed to deal with it? Are we, are we all, should we all be forced back into the classroom to, to listen to philosophers like you and Steve? Um, should we be rereading uh, Descartes? or Francis Bacon, or Karl Popper, uh, or perhaps even Nietzsche, who I think probably disagrees with you about the idea of truth. It's not very realistic, is it? Most people are extremely busy. They don't have time to read your book, let alone Popper and Spinoza and and Francis Bacon. Well, look, one thing we could do is uh, bring
1: our funding of education back up to reasonable levels. So there's...
0: When, when, whenever there's a, a budget, that's costs, an old argument, Larry. We we always hear that, and it never happens. It that's well, not realistic.
1: You're, no, you're asking me what I want to happen. Uh, so, I mean, the you're asking me how to how to cure something, and I can, I can, I can give. You okay. Well, sorry, I
0: interrupted that. you. Go on. Go on.
1: So, what I would like to see, uh, in in addition to funding education at the higher level, is. Uh, exposure at a much younger age to, to philosophy. I, I have colleagues who teach philosophy to young children. And young children are sort of natural philosophers. They have this intellectual openness that, that eventually gets narrowed and, and shut as people grow older. So I, I think um, an introduction to a philosophical, edu- philosophical education at a much younger age could only help matters
0: is that realistic though larry repeating my question uh, i always feel in these kind of conversations people say well come up with a solution and people always choose education because it's so vague and not realizable so it's really acknowledgement of failure Uh, because we know in america that funding education isn't going to get more funding we know in america that preschoolers are not going to get taught by philosophers so so perhaps bring up something that's more practical and, and and realistic um Shut the internet down?
1: <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, curbs on the kinds of uh, postings that, that people ought to make. I know Facebook is, has just announced that they're thinking of bringing on board uh, a, a panel to talk about uh, election misinformation uh, to complement the sort of panel that they instituted a, a year or two ago. To talk more broadly about ethics considerations. So, certainly, a limitation on what, on on the the kind of bullshit that people are free to uh, promulgate across the web is is a good start. Now, how to practically implement that is, is is something that we have to think seriously about because of concerns about freedom of expression.
0: What about the relationship with politics, philosophy, and politics? It's always been an uncomfortable relationship, beginning with Plato and his ideal of philosopher kings, which he articulated in The Republic. You're a philosopher, so uh, I I probably know the answer to this question. But should we be wary of giving philosophers too much power, particularly in the context of politics? Because we will always have a tendency towards technocracies. Uh, Philosophers might be less uh, open to the idea of debate and of incorrect ideas than other groups of people?
1: I think uh, you have that uh, backwards um, for several reasons. <laughs> One is philosophers will never have much power. Uh, but but another is that um, philosophers are, are typically very open to debate. And it seems to me that um, certain philosophical ideas uh, uh, can really um find purchase across a number of different disciplines uh, and, and virtue of which we we could see progress coming from a lot of different directions so I have in mind something like John Rawls's theory of justice, this uh, theory that Rawls developed in the in the 1970s and it's uh, it's hard to do any work in economics today or any work in political science or any work in uh, in in social sciences without understanding the nuances of John Rawls's theory of justice. Uh, But this was Rawls's theory is is a theory that uh, were it to be implemented, we'd find much less uh, economic inequality in in our country. Uh,
0: My guess is that you one of the reasons you like Rawls is because you like his conclusions. Are there examples of political thinkers or indeed philosophers who you like who you don't like their conclusions?
1: Well, the antithesis of Rawls is uh, Robert Nozick, who who defended a kind of libertarian view of political uh, political life. Rawls uh, no- Nozick thought that uh, we're basically entitled to whatever we're able to um, produce on our own, and uh, we're not obliged in any way to provide a kind of safety uh, uh, a social safety net to to help those who are. Not as well positioned to uh, earn a living or 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 uh, care for themselves in other ways. So I, I think Nozick's views are are are, are brutal. Um, and of course, Ayn Rand, who uh, is not really a philosopher, more of a a, a popular figure, uh, brings some of Nozick's idea to their their ugly extremes. So there was a
0: time when the, the Nozick uh, rules debate was, it wasn't known in, in, in the average household, but it was quite well known. Today, uh, academic debate tend to be uh, limited within the confines of the university. Are there philosophers, you think, um, American philosophers in particular, who need a broader audience, who should have a broader audience, um, who are not being heard, who are not being listened to, who are not being read?
1: Um, someone like Martha Nussbaum comes to mind. She's, she's, she's a fairly prominent
0: person though. Um, yeah, Steve, Steve came up with Nussbaum as well. Uh, uh, uh scholar of Aristotle and of, uh, of other f- philosophical, uh, themes. But again, she's someone you would probably agree with her conclusions, right?
1: Uh, not, not, not all of them, but, but my, then we have people like, um, Susan Wolf say, who's a philosopher at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, who writes on interesting questions about the meaning of life. Uh, meaning of life is this this topic. You think, well, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be of interest to anyone but a philosopher. But um, Susan Wolf's thoughts on the meaning of life, I think, are the sorts of things that any reflective individual should find should should find uh, valuable
0: well larry uh, larry shapiro the author co-author of when bad things happen to good people uh, how philosophy can save us from ourselves one of america's most distinguished philosophers teaching at the university of madison at wisconsin it's a really interesting read and a wonderful conversation larry what else should people be reading in addition to um perhaps martha nussbaum uh uh susan waltz and uh and your new book anything else
1: well, I, I recently picked up this book by uh, Peter Godfrey Smith. Peter is a, a, a philosopher of mind, which is my area of specialization, and also a philosopher of biology, and And he, he became fascinated with uh, octopuses a few years ago.
0: And What's it called? Meta- Metazoa, right? Metazoa,
1: yep. And uh, Peter is very interested in trying to understand what minds are, what consciousness is, and octopuses are intriguing because they're very intelligent. They seem to have minds, but they're they're nothing like us.
0: Uh, Do you think octopuses believe that chocolate milk comes from brown cows? <laughs> uh,
1: I, I think it's likely that they don't, but we can't be sure.
0: Well, we'll have to get an octopus on the show uh, to follow up on that one. Larry Shapiro, author of When Bad Thing Happens to Good People, How Philosophy Can Save Ourselves from Ourselves. Very interesting, controversial book, which is already getting uh, lots of hate mail, which I think, Larry, is a great compliment. Keep well, look after yourself, and keep thinking and aggravating people. Uh, I think that's a great compliment. Uh, Larry Shapiro, thanks again.
1: Thank you, Andrew. This has been a lot of fun.